You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. So when I get up in the morning, a series of things happen. Much of them sound related. So I hear my alarm. Definitely the cat, Zuko, makes these trumpet-like meows. Ed, can you describe how you experience the world when you wake up? Yes, it is a sensory bombardment. All five traditional ones are engaged because usually what happens is I get woken up at about six o'clock by my dog Typo licking my face. Ed Yong is a staff writer for The Atlantic and author of the new book, An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. He crawls up from where he sleeps (laughs) at the bottom of the bed. It's an arduous track for a little corgi, and he just furiously (laughs) and intensely licks my face. And so... So It's a little bit like... Yeah. In the morning. That's... Yeah, that's uncannily close. How how odd. <laughs> right, so then there's the sound of him licking my face. There's the sight of, like, fuzz sometimes when he actually gets in my mouth because my first reaction is, going, oh, God, no. And then he's all in there. Then there's taste as well. It's really a whole smorgasbord of, of sensory information at six in the morning. You've been a science writer for 15 years yes. and spent a lot of time examining the world with a scientific level of rigor and curiosity. Mm-hmm. From the microbes that live inside us, that was your first book, I Contain Multitudes, mm-hmm. to now pondering how animals have what you describe as a, quote, sensory bubble that's a bit different from our own. I love that language. Why, Ed, did you want to write about sense? Um, For lots of reasons. I think that um, the biology is incredibly fascinating, right? So in the book, I get to write about snakes and bats and elephants and whales and all the incredible things that they pick up in the environment. I think that the senses connect us all. Thinking about um, the senses of animals really changes our appreciation of the world around us. Absolutely. And it's such a world-expanding read, for that very reason. So, Ed, you kind of inspired us to make a game show to really explore these animals on their own terms. I'm tentatively calling it instead of Quiz Bowl, G Golly Whiz Bowl. This is the work <laughs> title. Please submit other suggestions. Inspired. Let's meet our contestants. Behind door number one, we have shortwave producer Margaret Serino. Hello, Margaret. Hello. Hi. Excited to be here. Welcome, welcome. I know you flew all the way. Uh, And behind door number two, we have scientist in residence, Regina Barber. Hello, Regina. Hi. Number two is the best. (laughs) Go number two. Today on the show, we gamify Ed Yong's new book, An Immense World, and throw down the gauntlet on the wild world of animal senses. I'm Emily Kwong, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily science quiz show from NPR. All right, everyone, to warm up, I want to start with a personal question, and that is, if you were a body part, which one would you be? Margaret Serino. I think I would be a nose because I am always inserting myself into other people's business. <laughs> no lies detected. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm aware. Oh. <laughs> oh. Regina Barber, body part, which one would you be? I mean, I thought about this a little bit and I wanted to be something like cool, but that's just not me. So uh, I picked vocal cords because I am so incredibly loud. Vocal cords are cool. Are they? I mean, they could be they could be good, like beautiful singing, and they can just be annoying, like yelling at people down the street. And that's who I am. You have range. I do. Uh, Ed? 
If you were a body part, which one would you be? I'm a stomach because uh, loves food, um, pretty acidic, and stop between <laughs> organs that either talk too much or are full of. Oh, wow! Comprehensive answer. Okay, you. you all start. You all start with one point, except you, Ed. You wrote the book and you inspired this quiz show, so you get no points. Um, what? Wow! Uh, wow! <laughs> I'm keeping my points. I'm saying. I'm saying. You're the judge. Ed, we want you to know we did not let these guests read the book. So they Emily, have you have you deprived me of two sales? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you for not reading my book. <laughs> you're I welcome. Guess. You're welcome. It took a lot of energy. Heroic. It's kind of hard to find people in the science world who haven't read your book. Uh, but Margaret and Regina, our contestants, have not. In fact, they are both physicists. Yes. And that's true. Uh, we're oh, gonna ask them okay. quiz style biology questions inspired by your book. I uh, expect nothing but excellence from both of you and maybe a tiny bit of smack talk. Do you think we can do that? Uh, yeah, we'll try. Yeah, yeah. We'll try. All, right, all right, let's get started. So this question comes from chapter six, A Rough Sense, which is all about contact and flow, and it focuses on sea otters. So sea otters get a lot of their sensory information through touch with one part of their body in particular. Which part of the body is that? Margaret. Okay. I'm feeling fur. Like, they're padding. <laughs> That's the answer I'm going to go with. No. Okay. When? <laughs> Regina. I'm going to say they're, like, nose. Okay. Oh. Ed, what is the real answer? It is their paws. Um, so much like... Uh, it seemed too obvious. Know, right? No. Their little paws. It was a bit of a tricksy question. Um, so, yeah, no, it's their, it's their paws. Sea otter paws, uh, much like human hands, are extremely sensitive. They look like kind of a knobbly cauliflower head, but mm. they're really nimble and they're incredibly sensitive. And that allows the otter, whenever it dives, to very, very quickly find the sea urchins and the shellfish and all the stuff that it needs to eat before it starts to uh, lose too much body Thank you, Ed. We begin the game with a tie. So the next question, um, in this same chapter all about contact and touch, you talk about how the hands of humans and otters have an outsized influence on our sense of touch. Mm -hmm. But that's not true for all animals. Right. They're perhaps using other organs. And there is one critter in particular for whom this is true uh, called the star-nosed mole. Mm -hmm. They use a different organ. I want you to guess what the star-nosed mole uses most mm -hmm. to touch the world around it based on this picture alone. Margaret and Regina. Gina. I'm going to say it's going to be my same answer from before. Nose. That's just unfair. <laughs> That's just unfair. <gasps> this is one of the coolest critters you write about in the book. Ed, what, what is this? Um, right. The Starnose Mole is uh, actually very, very well named. Good job, Department of Naming Things. It is a mole <laughs> with um, this fleshy star shape on its nose. Um, these like f uh, fleshy appendages that look like two hands reaching out at the world. And through that, it senses the, the textures, the feel, the shape of little morsels of food. It can identify prey, swallow it, and then start searching for the next mouthful in just uh, a quarter of a second, which is wow. about as fast as uh, a human blink. Very fast. Very cool. Okay. This next question it is about our sense of pain. Margaret and Regina, we want to know, what is the difference between pain and nociception? Gina, what's the difference? Um, 
I mean, I'm guessing it has something to do with like a process, like pain is like a reaction that your brain has to process or something like that. And the the other thing that you said, the jargony word, that's just like the name of what happens versus like huh? another step or something. I'm just I'm just guessing. You are. Does she get a point for that? I think she gets a point much for that. Correct. Woo! Yeah. Number two. Number two. <laughs> Gina, you have three <laughs> points. Margaret, you have one, but that is okay. There is one more question left. To make it three to two. <laughs> First, though, Ed, what is this jargony word? What is nociception? So when I touch um, a hot pan uh, and I burn my hand, my arm is going to recoil before I'm actually consciously aware of the burn. And that detection that something bad has happened to my hand, that's nociception. It is okay. reflexive. It just happens because there are these sensors in the fingers that go, oh, no. Um the the suffering, the agony that I experience afterwards, the fact that, frankly, the burn sucks, that is pain. Pain involves the brain. It's the, the conscious emotional reaction to the injury. And, and you go on to say, you know, for animals, for us, pain is kind of a subjective thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? So with animals in particular, there's this big debate about um, whether a lot of different creatures feel pain or not. And then specifically whether they have that emotional conscious experience, like are they suffering or are they just experiencing nociception? So if a worm touches a hot surface, it's going to withdraw, it's going to writhe. That looks a bit like pain, but we know based on the simplicity of its nervous system that it just seems unlikely to have that kind of rich, full conscious experience. So a lot of people then argue that um, some other animal groups might just be uh, experiencing nociception without pain. Mm. There's been a lot of push and pull um, in this. So more recently, I think there's pretty strong evidence that fish, for example, feel pain, that octopuses feel pain. And because pain is so charged, because it's such a difficult topic that has uh, ethical and economic Mm. consequences for, for so much of what humans do, a lot of our thinking around it gets collapsed into this very simplistic question, like, do animals feel pain or not? We're going to pose the final question. Gee golly, Wizbull is coming to a close. <laughs> so far, we have Regina with three points, Margaret with one. <sighs> this question comes from chapters nine and ten, talking about echoes and electric fields. Oh, yes. Chapter nine is called A Silent World Shouts Back, and it's all about echo location. Mm-hmm. Chapter 10 is all about electrolocation. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? All right, Margaret, what is the difference between echolocation and electrolocation? Final okay. question. I don't actually have any. Okay. <laughs> you, got, you, got this. you know it's, this. It's the spelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Echolocation, you're using like sound waves to create a map to see. Electrolocation. You are sending out pulses of electricity no. to no, create. No, no, to, no, 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 no. Okay, Regina, are... Regina, let her finish. I'm, sh- I'm trying to help. Uh huh. You're you're using electric waves to see. I'm gonna. That's. I'm wrapping it up. Can, can I? Can I guess? Ed, 
I mean, I, I'll allow it. I think that was totally fine. But I'm curious what Regina is going to say. Oh, I thought I thought we are using the Earth's magnetic fields, um, electromagnetic fields to, to, to locate. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay, well, then I'm wrong. Ed, wow. what's going on with fish and their electrolocation properties? All right. So there are hundreds of species of electric fish that can generate their own electric field. By producing these electric fields and by sensing how those fields are distorted by objects around them, so whether it's a conducting object like a plant or an insulating one like a rock, they can get a sense of their entire surroundings. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, an extended form of touch. Hmm. Isn't that cool? Well, wow, I was way off. <laughs> I really, I really thought about electro electromagnetism. Now, who's the astrophysicist? <laughs> yeah, you you got it, Marge. I am horribly embarrassed. What Regina was uh, thinking of is called magnetoreception, which is sensing the Earth's uh, magnetic field and using that to navigate. Yeah. Yes. And with that, by a score of three to two, very respectable, our winner is Regina. Nice. I'm the greatest. You know what? Oh, thank you. Gina, next mm-hmm. time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good job, Marge. Good game. Mm, thank you. Ed Young, thank you so much for talking to us and to Margaret Serino and Regina Barber for playing this game. Yay. It was fun. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. You can keep the fun rolling for yourself, too. Ed's new book, An Immense World, is on sale now. This episode was produced by Burley McCoy and Rebecca Ramirez, who is also our editor. It was fact-checked by Rachel Carlson and engineered by Stu Rushfield. I'm Emily Kwong. Thank you for listening to Shortwave from NPR. Ed, if you had a sudden-death question. I have just forgotten literally everything in this book. Like, (laughs) (laughs) all 360 pages have have vanished wow from my what a great interview we we made you uh, remember everything in your book and gave you no points for it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, right? uh, no one deserves more rest in this world than you <laughs> thank you 